Hello, Nathan here from the Journey Further podcast, a show all about learning from the people and businesses who are on a mission to do things differently. Today's guest is Peter Briffitt. Peter's the definition of a serial entrepreneur. He sold his first business to Microsoft in 2006 and has had many other ventures since. Right now, he's in the fintech space as co-founder and CEO of Wagestream, who are doing some amazing work, all focused around helping people improve their financial well-being. I hope you enjoy the show. Peter, thank you so much for doing this. Thanks for taking the time. It's a pleasure. I just wanted to kick things off like we do with every episode by asking you the question, what's the wrong you want to write? You know, the wrong we're trying to write is the monthly pay cycle. We believe that is an archaic construct that actually puts a lot of people into debt, creates a lot of financial stress, forces people into the hands of either, you know, paying overdraft fees, credit card debt, or the worst case in anyone's life is is predatory payday lenders. Um, and we believe by giving people access to the money they've earned as they earn it actually stops people having to go um, into some of those, um, you know, have some of those financial issues. And the, the wrong we write, therefore, is... How can we um, stop people being forced to be paid on a 30-day basis? Um, if you can give them access, can you help them financially? We believe that's, that is true. And that, that system then, that monthly pay cycle, what, what's the background to that? How have we ended up in this That's a, that's that a really good question. Um, if we all lived in America, and you can choose whether that's a good idea or not, everyone gets paid every two weeks. Whether you're Donald Trump or you, know, you work in a, you know, in a restaurant, you get paid every two weeks. There'd be riots on the streets if people got paid monthly in the US. Whereas in the UK and in Europe, 85% of people are paid on a monthly basis. And, there's, and it, you know, if you think back 100 years ago, people got paid daily a day's work you got a day's pay then it moved to weekly um, and now the majority of uk businesses european businesses pay monthly and there's two major reasons for that the first one is wait a minute if i don't pay you if i only pay myself every 30 days i hold on to more cash so there's a cash flow uh, concept there that actually you know certainly benefits the employer certainly in hospitality and retail trades where cash is king can I hold on to cash longer therefore the how little how 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 little can I pay my like how what what how, how often do I have to go before I can pay my staff um, turns out 30 days is about as much as you can go before they're sort of they're sort of right so that's one of the reasons but another really fundamental reason is you know running payroll is expensive and it's admin intensive if you've got thousands of workers that you're paying um, you know it's a huge process and mo- that's why most companies lock payroll seven to ten days before people actually get paid because there's, mm-hmm. a, there's a big admin overhead which is a big cost overhead and just a, you know it, it, there's a lot going on there you have to work out everyone's you have to do all the contributions around t- tax and everything else so it's really cash flow and admin. So the less you, the less often you pay people, the more benefit that has to the employer. But clearly, that's created a liquidity crisis for a lot of UK employees. Um, and we live in a country where, you know, fifty-five uh, percent of UK families do not have two hundred fifty pounds in savings. So you could be a master of budgetary, um, you know, and that's great, and you can budget. But what no one can budget for is unplanned expenses, flat tires, boiler breakdowns, or, or whatever else. And if you get hit by one of those and you haven't got a savings cushion, then you know where do you go to try and fix that problem? And that's that is the case for you know lots of overdrafts, and that's where the whole payday lending industry grew from is is taking advantage of this liquidity crisis. And I guess the payday lending industry started off the back of an innovation originally that these companies realised they could quickly make yeah i mean let's be clear when there was when people were paid daily there was no payday lending industry 
the whole concept was you need money for before payday therefore i will give you money and i'll charge you a whole rate for it but you pay me back on payday yeah and of course as we've gone from daily to weekly to monthly pay cycles the payday lending industries has grown as a result of that because this liquidity crisis has been caused um, to a lot of workers. And if, if you just look at it, you know, we didn't know this at the beginning, but we've done, you know, we, we seek to do one of our missions is to destroy payday lenders completely, um, is you realise that actually, you know, if you, and I'm sure we don't sit around and watch daytime TV, but if you did, you'd realise that no one, no payday lender markets at the beginning of the month, but at the end of the month, every daytime TV advert is a payday lending advert because they yeah. know exactly when those pressure points are. Um, and that's when, you know, it's the last week of a pay cycle where people feel most keenly around their, you know, financial health. It's a reason a lot of people don't go out in the last week. It's a reason lots of people stop spending in the last week. It's, um, it's, it's, it can be hard for people if you haven't got savings. Because I, I sent around a message to the company yesterday uh, telling them that I was interviewing you and I reminded them that no one had been paid for 36 days. <laughs> um, oh, because you got paid early at Christmas. Because you got paid just before Christmas and then yeah. now it's not even the end of January yet. Um, and I guess that made me start to think about that it's not just necessarily low paid or low salaried workers, which this kind of innovation can help. It's people across the, across the board. Totally. This is what we found. So initially we thought, because what, what we do as a business, we, 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 we contract with a business, we understand their workforce management data, so I can understand every employee of that company, how many hours they've worked, what their salary is and the monetary value of those. Um, so we, under, we understand that. Um, and we naturally assumed it would be probably lower income workers, shift workers that would find much use out of this. But what we found is actually, you know, the liquidity problem created by monthly pay cycles exist for all different types of you know genders demographics and, and even income bands we get more usage on salaries under 30k because it's more keenly felt when you know, in terms of finances but we've got some very high earners that still will use it waystream to access um their earnings as they go through pay cycles it's a classic you know more money more problems you earn more but you probably have more outgoings you may have yeah. a bigger mortgage you may have other fees to pay you may have lots of other things so it's been quite interesting that actually this whole concept of people just having access to their earnings really exists for everyone um and that's and that's something that we you know when you actually talk to employees no one can really answer why we get paid monthly and then you say to employees are like or you know, are you comfortable giving your company an interest-free loan on your earnings every month if you are suffering sort of overdraft fee charges or debt charges? Well, most people aren't. Well, there's something that we can do to solve that. So I think when, you know, when we're working with like forward-thinking employers, think like Boopers or Rent-A-Kills, um, you know, casual dining groups, they see that actually... In, in many cases, a monthly pay cycle isn't helping their staff to budget, even though we've all been indoctrined to think that it's a responsible mechanism. If you give this flexibility back to people with their finances, is it going to help them? And therefore, will they like working for you more? Turns yeah. out that seems to be true. And just on a practical level then, how does it actually work for an employee, I guess, first of all? How does the platform actually work? So, so, sure. So we contract with the business. Um, and let's say someone like Carluccio's, they roll out Wagestream to all their staff. And what that means is they say, hey, we've now got, you know, Wagestream's now been launched. You can now access your earnings as, as you earn them. So the staff can download an app. They can log in with their employment credentials. And then in real time, it shows them how much they're earning every minute of every day. So as you start the pay cycle, it's zero. 
and then it moves up as you move through the pay cycle. If you're a shift worker, every time you do a shift, the app says, hey, you've just earned this money. So we, we've accessed rotor scheduling software at the, at the employer level, wow. so we can understand every minute of every day how much your staff are earning, how much you owe them as the employer, um, and then the, the employer can set the percentage their staff can take, which is normally about 40% of their earnings. So you want people to have money at the end of the month. You want them to be able to cover all their outgoings, but you also don't want them to get into debt between pay cycles. So it's very simple. Download app, enroll. I've now got access to my earnings. As the, If you want to take money between pay cycles, we've, as WageStream, facilitated that payment for you. So even if it enters your account, it says Carluccio's on your bank statement as it comes in, so it's obvious where that's originated from, yeah. but we've paid for it. Because we, we understood that, you know, for, for cash flow reasons, people have moved to monthly, so we couldn't impact that. We had to fulfill this um, these payments, and we just recover the money next time you get paid. So we've got a really smart technology that doesn't impact payroll um it doesn't impact any of the processes about two seconds before you get paid we can recover the money that you've taken and it gets deducted from your next pay slip essentially so that makes the implementation into a business much more straightforward as well yeah the one golden rule for any workplace implementation ever is don't touch payroll it's (laughs) sacred land you know we, we deal with pay systems that haven't been changed and these are in major companies for 15 20 years because look it pays people Where's the upside of changing? There's only one downside, which it won't pay someone. And yeah. then we, you know, you get into this whole content. I mean, money is emotional. And um, it's true that the reason most people work is for their wage. The most positive thing an employer can do is pay you. Um, employers have a lot of other benefits. You can give away, you know, you can have half price cinema tickets, fruit bowls, yoga. But I promise you, if you don't pay staff, those other benefits aren't, aren't as important as you may think they are. Yeah. Pay is the most important benefit people have. Um, and therefore, if you don't pay people or you're late paying people, it's a very negative reaction. Conversely, if you provide really positive financial tools to people, there's a really positive reaction. I think that's where, that's what we think as a business. How can we... Why do you, this whole positive thing you do, why do you just do it every 30 days? Can we provide more flexibility around the most positive thing you do for your employees? How can we make that stronger and that bond between you and them stronger? Um, Essentially sitting in the background and making the employer the hero of all these financial products. And what kind of reception do you get when you introduce this? I guess you're introducing the concept of financial well-being often to companies as something which they should be thinking about. Yeah, absolutely. So you're, you're going in and it's it's seen as absolutely it's a wellness benefit. This is something that can, can really help your staff. And again, with the bigger companies, and with that, you know, it's all about engagement. How can they engage staff? How can they you know, make their staff feel a bond to them? And then, of course, you get the upside benefits of retention people stay with you longer people are more productive less absenteeism all those types of things definitely in financial wellness and that's why not least yes you can you can stream your wages but also you can you know track your wages you can save your wages every month um, and you can also access financial educational material as well and we've we've actually realized something that we didn't know when we tell our investors we did we didn't is um the tracking function so now if you go on wage stream it shows you how much you've earned how much you're going to earn in the future as well. Because we can look into those rotors and say, hey, this is how many shifts you've got, Nathan. This is how much your expected total will be at the end of the month. Because I've realized something that we didn't know, that actually most people don't know what they're going to earn, especially, I mean, if you're salaried, you have a much better idea. If you're a shift worker, you generally don't. Um, And as a result of that, People, I mean, I've never received a paycheck in my life that I've been happy. Like, no one's happy. Like, so it's never been a happy. It's like, oh, 
It's like, oh, I thought that, that much tax? What band am I? You know, that type of thing. And that happens a lot to shift workers that have volatile pay. So we found that giving people instant visibility on what, they, the, what they've earned this month, what they're going to earn, whether they're tracking against next month, what your expected cash flow position is at the end of the month is really powerful for people because then they can start making different decisions as opposed to being in the dark about stuff and then getting disappointed. Um, and that's what drives a lot of our thinking now is, with open banking in the app, can we say, hey, you know, it looks like you're going to be 200 pounds over in overdraft by the end of the month. We've seen another shift in the rotor for you. And we know you've got a Vodafone bill to pay. Let's call that the Vodafone shift, pay that bill for you. And then at the end of the month, you'll be, you know, you'll be even or 100 pounds up, yeah. which is a better financial. So I think visibility is really key because people just don't have it as a day-to-day a lot of the larger companies we work with and these are big well-known hospitality brands retail brands their staff are taking pictures of the notice board where a laminated rotor has been posted or they're you know they're making notes on on on, on an app or they're or they're using spreadsheets to try and figure out what their earnings are going to be so giving that to them in real time and showing them what their financial position will be in the future i think it's really powerful because you know there's a lot of neo banks that do an amazing job of categorizing your spend and showing you what you have done what we're trying to do is show you what you could do and i think that's the new wave of, of fintech is yeah, tell Peter, you've eaten at too many restaurants again. You know what, what am I going to do about that? It's, it's a, you know, but but what can I do to improve my financial situation? Information like that, I think, is incredibly powerful. Interesting. Now, it's interesting that you say about the stuff which you've kind of discovered as you've gone along. I guess you guys are two years old now. Yeah, I mean, when we started, we thought we knew everything, and then you know, every month we realised we were idiots four weeks ago. So it's one of those things, and I think that 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 may have gone to six weeks now, or maybe two months. But yeah, you're constantly iterating. Um, when we started, myself and co- my co-founder Portman, who's who's the genius behind it all, um, the the thing was just launch, get it get it live as soon as possible, because then you know we knew it was going to have benefits. We knew we were helping people, but then you really start to understand usage and what people want and how they interact with it when they when they're going to use it. Um, we know that you know Mondays are always the highest day for. Um, transfers because it's a workplace tool people aren't using it for spurious reasons we also learned that once people understand it's their money that's going up in real time not not debt not credits their money they're much more responsible with it than they would be for instance if you get a you know get a letter from your credit card company hey you've got ten thousand more to spend oh buy that bigger tv it's like no that's the worst thing but this is this is so it's interesting so they're responsible and then we see usage you know 41 percent of all transfers happen in the last seven days of a pay cycle that's just absolutely what we probably initially envisaged because that's when people have their cash flow issue well that's really interesting one of the questions one of my colleagues sent me was how do you ensure that you're not encouraging the type of uh, sort of irresponsible spending that you're trying to protect people from no that, that's a really good question and that is actually one of the major questions that we have with all our employers is like this sounds great but will my staff be drunk every night? Will they go and gamble it away? And which is obviously a very paternal attitude to our staff. But the truth is, when it's your own money and people know it's their own money they're earning, they're actually much more responsible with it than you think. Now, we have controls on both sides. The employer will control you know, the percentage their staff can take, the amount of times their staff can use it, the monetary value of those times. Those are just set controls you can do on an individual group basis. The employee has controls. They can say, I only want to use this much or I'm going to not use it for these days or whatever they do. But the truth is people, we have, you know, on average about 25 to 28 check-ins a month per employee on the app. 
and the actual usage of streaming is about two times a month. So people just check, they just want to see what they're earning. That's actually the primary use case now. It's the utility function right. that all apps must have to survive, right? Everyone has to have utility function. Um, and because then you get you get people actually using you and it being meaningful in, in your life. And then you are one of their top 10 apps on a home screen. I mean, if you, if you are an app company and you're not on someone's home screen, you're out of business. So you need to be meaningful to people. And yeah. that visibility we found more meaningful than actually the ability to, to stream. Um, but we also, every time someone does stream their wages, they tell us why. There's a whole, you know, they, they, they tell us why, what the reason was. That information is also given to the employer. Well, your staff are using, you know, on aggregate, not on an individual level, but they're using it for transport to work. Did you realize that? Or they're actually using it for groceries in the last week of the month. Or they're using it for to pay, a, you know, a boiler or whatever, whatever's happened, an unplanned expense. So once you actually get into, the, the perception is it could be misused. The reality is it isn't. Hi there, I hope you're finding the show interesting so far. While I've got your attention, I'd like to invite you to join the Journey Further Book Club. It's a learning community designed for time-pressured marketers. We read the best business books and share bite-sized insight from each chapter, as well as hosting events with the authors. It's completely free to join. Just go to journeyfurther.com to sign up. Back to Peter. On, on that mission in particular, the mission you say about putting all those payday loan companies out of business, how far down the line... Well, it's working, isn't that? it? Yeah. So when, when, when Wonga went out of business initially, um, you know, we had a payday... We did a payday loan funeral across Millennium Bridge. So we got a coffin and we went across Millennium oh, wow. Bridge and it, it actually was a really good stunt because it got in... It was front of the Guardian, front of the Times as well. So even if you go to the Press Association now and, 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 and look for Wonga, I think our picture's up there with You've their logo. You've got the last big story. With, with their logo, yeah. Um, no, I mean, the, the truth is... We set up our mission to destroy payday loans. The regulatory environment now is really crushing them as well, which is fantastic. So the FCA, after, you know, it takes a while for regulatory to, re- regulatory um, sort of it, it laws to catch up with with new technologies. Payday loan companies became very astute at you know online use a little bar, take your money, not credit checking people properly, not checking affordability, and they've all been punished for their sins. So they they are now you know most of their a lot of them have had been trading insolvent because they were just getting fined by right. the financial ombudsman. But then, I, then I think actually, wait a minute. There were there were payday loan companies when we when we started, which was in Jan eighteen, and since then about five of them have collapsed. So it's got to be something to do with this. It's got to be something. <laughs> the, the government's been around for four hundred years. There's been regulation, for, but only when Wavestream turned out did payday loans start to die. But no, it's it's more um, debt. They've they. I think people are what what is true is people are far more aware about the dangers of them. So. Um, people know if you take a payday loan you ain't paying back the same amount you took yeah um what's been interesting to us the average payday loan isn't thousands it's 250 pounds so people are it's small amount like not small but it's not you know but but people are paying back 500 pounds or 480 pounds is the average of of that so i think people are much more aware of the dangers it's certainly true that if you had access to your earnings you would never take one and that you know yeah that is that is true you touched on the sort of regulatory aspects of the financial industry, and I guess you're known for having scaled, um, well, founded and scaled various businesses and led various other businesses in the past. Fintech's kind of a new space it for is. you. It is. Um, Regulation? Yeah. What trickery is this? <laughs> uh, I guess broadly to start with, like, what have you learned so far by diving into a sort of new space? 
Oh, it's a great question. So, yeah, it, you're absolutely right. It's first fintech. I've never really been in, been or, or operating in a highly regulated environment before. And, of course, when you're growing something and building something and trying to make something happen, it's a double-edged sword. You, you understand there has to be regulation. There definitely has to be regulation in finance because it's so easy to come up with horrible mechanisms to try and take people's money, and they need to be regulated out. Conversely, you're trying to build something and do something with a, with a social mission and trying to help people. Is regulation stifling you? I think that the, only, the, the one lesson I've learned is that you have to keep close to the regulator. You have to talk to them. You have to go and see them. You, you have to get them to understand what you're doing and what you're trying to achieve. And I think that really helps. Trying to, you know, do an Uber and bury your head, like just get, you know, just crushed. Uh, regulation is there to, really to protect consumers in, in financial in services. Yeah. Um, and it should be there. Um, and therefore, you know, if you're not harming consumers, you're trying to do the polar opposite and help them, then make sure the regulator's fully aware of your intent as a business and what you're trying to achieve. Um, so, yeah, we've gone through a whole process of, of doing that. And we have to make sure from a company level, we've got the right levels of compliance and regulatory legals in-house to to enable us to do it because you know you want government really to support what you're doing um they can be very vocal opponents or or, or promoters of you and obviously much rather you know their club's bigger than our club so we yeah. want them to be you know we want them to understand what we're doing and also encourage public sector companies to, to try and to try and use this yeah i mean because there's obviously been real uh sort of innovation by some of the challenger banks over the last few years um i guess Interesting. My my uh, housemate works at the Bank of England, yeah. so he's like really interested in, in all the this in the mothership. Kind of stuff. And, um, I guess I wonder sometimes. I'm like, obviously those banks, Monzo or Starling or whatever that is, they're kind of taking a little bit of a step to the market. But is there like a core bit of the financial industry which is still a bit of an immovable block? I think there's low. There's there's quite a lot of immovable blocks. I mean, everyone. I mean, obviously you've got the big banks, which are you know always say everyone says too big to fail and you can you can you can have a view on, on that type of stuff and everyone sort of in fintech is picking off little bits and being better at it like yeah. currency transfer transfer wise nails it far better to use them than a high street bank or insurance tech is also doing the same thing or or picking you know and what what monzo revolut have been incredibly good at is is just making financial your financial account more visible, more understandable, more accessible to a lot to a lot of extent. Yeah. Um, where there's still a big gulf between the new world and the old world is actually where people are still comfortable to put their money. So you've probably, I mean, I, you know, you've probably got a lot of people that you know that are on Monzo. Are they putting their wages into that? Are they treating them like a normal bank? Yeah. Now, hopefully, that over time that will change, and that 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 sort of confidence people have in them will grow. But right now, everyone's circling the major. The major stalwarts of the high street are still there, and yeah. they should be, and they're trying to innovate as well. And they they need to understand, and and they do are start to understand now. Um, we talked to quite a few of them. Is you know really they're going through this unbundling of banking and rebundling for the new world. It will just right. take them some time. Yeah. Um, but I don't I don't think there's there there are rules, but there's nothing. There's never been a better time probably to be to be in you know start some sort of revolution in in financial services because to be fair in the uk we're really lucky because the the technology and the back end we can act like open banking is a huge initiative it gives us access to those accounts that were you'd never have access to that data before and how can we help people you know when you know that information 
Open banking doesn't exist anywhere else in the world. Faster payments, these types of infrastructures that exist here, but you get, we, we, you know, we're moving into other countries now and we start to realise actually banking infrastructure here is actually a lot more advanced in many cases. Where did the open banking infrastructure start? No, that was a, it's a European initiative that was exactly this construct by the, which was just to say that, you know, all this data is held in these big behemoths. It's not being accessible to anyone. So if you want to encourage a fintech industry and encourage innovation, they have to give that up. Right. So they all had to sign up to this initiative. I don't think they went with pens at the ready. I think they were they were taken by, by, by the, but it was an EU directive. And it, and it means that any fintech with your consent can access the information in your, your, you know, your outgoings. So I can see your account comings and goings. How can I help you? You know, in that, in that, how can I make? I can make them visible. I can categorize them. But also, I think where, the way we look at it is: once we know that, can I help your financial future by knowing your capacity to earn, not just what you have in? Yeah, and I guess coming back to wage stream, then, and you mentioned about the sort of uh, the the social good aspect. How has founding a company with that at its heart? Uh, impacted the way you've grown the company over the last couple of years. No, that's a really good question. So, we, yeah, we, when we first started, we 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 went to Ascension Ventures, which have a fair by design fund. Which which and in that, you know, the people that the, the organisations put money into that fund were Joseph Roundtree, Barrow Cadbury, the Tech Trust. So these really strong social impact charities that will fund a business whose mission is really to reduce the poverty premium in this country. The poverty premium is, you know, how much more low-income workers may spend on certain things. If I live in a certain area, I have to pay more on insurance. If I, you know, if I don't have a direct debit set up on my telephone bill, I'm paying a lot more for phone, for electricity, for my basic utilities. And if I haven't got access to any type of fair credit options or or or, or savings, I may have to go and take a payday loan, which is a huge you know, burden on, on anyone, yeah. let alone someone that's, you know, got, got lower income. So that poverty, so it's how to reduce a poverty premium. So we, and that our challenge as a business is, you know, you grow the business, you see some of the opportunities, you have to always keep core to your social mission. So we actually, and they, and, and that was part of our construct. So we have a social charter in our articles that says, in Articles of Association on Covenant's House, that says everything we do must be, um, for the benefit of the you know the employee and it must be to reduce the poverty premium so all these other financial tools we think about is all about that so that keeps us on track I think there's also something happening outside of that that social impact is now is, is now a real thing just with with venture capitalists with family office money as well everyone's like it's no this whole profit without purpose type of mantra of the last century seems to, you know, be good. People want to know, like, if I'm going to fund, what are you going to do? Yes, you can make more money out of the money I give you, but how are you going to impact society or the environment? And and that's great. So I think a lot more people ask those questions and therefore it makes it easier for us as a growing business to raise more funds from multiple places because people are going, actually, we want to put money into 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 businesses that are doing good for society and i, I don't think that was the case 20 years ago so mm. i give you money i want 10x back now it's I, I want some money back and i do want a reasonable good amount but what i want you to tell me is how you're going to impact society and we we see that and i think that's that's something that's very helpful to anyone doing social impact business so it's becoming an advantage for you rather than a hurdle it is if you look at um you know davos this year to five years ago it's all about sustainability, yeah. environmental concerns. You know, you've got big PE firms, big funders going, we're no longer going to fund these coal, 
you know, you know, producing industries. We're no longer going to fund these these fossil fuel burners. We we want to fund businesses that are actually helping us. Um, and I think that's a, that's been a, that's a real change that's happening now in real time. Yeah. Um, not you know, but but yeah, we didn't know this at the beginning. It's just it's you always think do you you know we are a social impact that should re- that can restrict you. I don't think we found that to be the case. And does it help you grow? Uh interesting and diverse team yourselves as well yeah again i think for you know everyone at waystream totally believes in what we're trying to do believes in the mission i think that's been a big part of why they work there um yeah it's important for people certainly you know younger generations to come on board like what i don't want to just be in a job i want to do something that actually makes an impact i want to be part of something that i can say in our case can we change the way the whole world gets paid and give, give people better financial health well that's a big mission but I'd much rather be part of that than sit behind the desk crunching numbers and doing something that I don't even understand. Yeah. And so you personally, on a day-to-day level, what does your role at Wagestream look like? Mayhem. <laughs> Chaos. Um, no, just lot. There was a lot. I mean, obviously, we're, there's a, we, we, we're just going through this rapid growth now. We're talking to a lot of larger businesses. We're seeing some of the really big UK companies start to look at what we, what we call income streaming, but flexible pairs out an option. So there's a lot of meetings and presentations yeah, yeah. and stuff like that but also you know the engineering team and the the onboarding team are massively important to us in making sure that the current clients are seeing the real benefits or you're measuring that in the right way you're understanding that so we spend a lot of time with them as well is your financial health of your staff improving because that's how we look at things so yeah but it's a startup um it's mayhem it's classic mayhem but then you need a clear plan and a clear vision and then you know you do all the normal stuff like okrs as well make sure everyone's focused otherwise you know the classic and i've done enough i've had enough fail companies to know that it's very easy when there's lots of opportunities to run around like my kids football team all all together after the same ball whereas you you need to focus on what's going to be important for the next quarter or six months. And if you can do that effectively, it's it's a real bonus because it's very easy for, oh, bright light over there and run over there type thing. And what were your biggest learnings, I guess, from those from those successful previous businesses, but from the <laughs> from the ones that failed as well? I what, think what that, the I think things? I think focus is really really important. Um, we know we've got you know a really compelling proposition, but unless you focus, unless you understand, you know, the markets you're trying to you know get into the time because everyone's got a certain amount of time a day. Everyone's allowed that. How are you spending your time? Are you spending it wisely? You know, we are getting inundated with requests from all different countries. Oh, can you do, launch it here? Can you launch it there? Which all sound great, but what you've got to do is just really focus on on what matters and build up a you know a set of clients within certain verticals and make sure you're really you know you're building up your brand that way. So I think I think focus and where when you haven't got that, that's when you really get into trouble. Even yeah. if you have a great idea and a great proposition, um, we. Are in a business, you know, we can't sleep at night, and the money, you know, we, money doesn't come in if we sleep. Like we have to, we have to be up, be on it every day. We haven't got the luxury of having an established business model that is that is that is that is generating, you know, any sort of profit. You have to, you have so you have to make sure that the time you spend daily is 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 useful. And 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 this and the time we spend now is how can we get how can we keep our clients really happy and positive? How can we get more clients? And how can you do that in a, in a smart way yeah. that, you know, reducing friction point? Just to move on to the final few questions then. Um, what did you used to believe that you no longer believe in? That's a great question. I, so if you look if, from a waystream lab, I, I, I now don't believe free is good. So we used to almost, you know, we didn't charge employers anything 
now we charge employers, we actually found they take it a lot more seriously as a proposition. Right, they build yeah. a business case internally. They launch it faster. And now we've seen the future, which is actually that we're going to make all the employer pay for everything. So the employee pays nothing for any transaction fee. And okay. if we hadn't thought that, I think we it would have changed how we how we thought about things. So people think free removes all barriers. In any, like, I can give you something for free, you're going to lap it up. And to a certain extent in consumer land, that does, because Facebook, Google's all has free services, but there's always a barter for that service. The barter being, well, I'm going to advertise to you, or I'm going to take some of your data and do something else with it. So I don't, so I, so my view is free actually doesn't sometimes get you. You think free removes all barriers to entry. I think the polar opposite in enterprise sales is true. Okay. So yeah, people going, oh, we're not going to trust our whole payroll system with something that's yeah. free. Well, well, <laughs> what, yeah. <laughs> what, are they, yeah. what are these guys doing? Yeah. And yeah, I think okay. it's, it, what, once you, obviously it means your value proposition has to be stronger. You have to show the business what value you're giving them if they're paying for something. But we, we've been quite effective at doing that. And we've seen some really strong results. So I, 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 that's what I believe. I think companies that come to market with a free product always have another intent because no one can be free. Yeah. Not, not everything that's good is free, put it that way. Yeah. <laughs> and not everything that's free is good. Um, secondly, <laughs> if this wasn't your mission, putting payday loan companies out of business and giving people financial freedom, uh, what do you think would be? Cricket world records. Right. Okay. Wow. So I, I, I did. I did have the record for the fast hitting the most number of balls in under a minute. So our little village cricket club wow. decided to break some records. So I would spend my my dying days trying to get some more. I've realised that if you want to break a Guinness World Record, there's thousands you can take on. You okay. just have to have. You just have to plan it because <laughs> there's literally these spurious records out there that no one's ever going to bother with apart from if you've got time on your hands so you just need to be a bit strategic you've just got to be very strategic find a little niche that some no one else globally is going to do um the trouble is as soon as you break one then someone else does it um but it's quite it's quite i find it quite interesting so you could end up sort of dominating a few pages <laughs> you can, domi the, you can dominate spurious cricketing records be awesome <laughs> <laughs> And, uh, and and finally, if you could recommend uh, one book for members of the Journey Further book club to read, what would it be? Oh, it's a good one. I always think Northern Lights asks, uh, answers all questions ever ever asked um, by Philip Pullman. But actually, from a business perspective, I still go back to um, Crossing the Chasm. I think it's Jeff Moore. Okay. Um, I just find that I think anyone in startups should read that. Um, just in terms of how you take a product from a from you know early adopter levels to a mass market solution, I don't think there's a better strategy or construct than that's written in that book. And I've certainly used that knowledge a number of times that I've learned in that book to help uh, us grow a business. So I would suggest that one. Cool, that's a great recommendation, uh, Peter. Thanks so much. It's been fascinating to hear about the work you're doing and the mission you're on, um, and wish you all the best with the thanks, growth. Thanks, Nathan. Great to be here. Thank you. Cheers. Thank you so much for listening. If you found that valuable, please do hit subscribe to keep up to date with future episodes and be so kind to leave us a rating or review in your podcast app. It was a pleasure to speak to Peter, someone who's incredibly passionate about building WageStream to make a social impact. If you think your organization could benefit from using the platform, just go to wagestream.co.uk to find out more. As I said, the best way to keep in touch with us at Journey Further is to join the Journey Further book club. This is a really exciting, growing community designed for time-pressured marketers. We read many of the best business books. We share bite-sized insight from each chapter over email and WhatsApp. It's completely free to join. Just go to journeyfurther.com and follow the book club link to sign up.
And if you've got any ideas, any questions, any thoughts about the podcast, we'd love to hear from you. Just drop us an email at podcast at journeyfurther.com.